this next talk is called The Single Person's Role in the Church uh, by Toby Sumter. All right, well, we're almost there to the end. Hold on tight. You can do it. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we have. We ask uh, for your blessing on it. Uh, pour out your spirit upon us. And may your word be living and active and encouraging us and building us up and correcting us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to do two things with this talk and just really quickly remind you of um, some of the bedrock things that I laid out in the first talk this morning. Just keep them in the back of your mind, uh, the centrality of the gospel, um, surrendering everything uh, to Christ, walking by grace through faith, um, keeping your, your Christianity um, connected to your relationships. Um, keep that all in mind. And I want to do two things with this talk, which is um, maybe more than the organizers of the conference had in mind. Uh, but I want to address um, just, first of all, singleness um, somewhat, because I think that needs to be addressed in order to then make the point about the single person's role in the church clear. If we don't address uh, singleness, uh, I think that will, you know, whatever we say the role of a single person is, I think it, it can feel ungrounded, unrooted, um, because it, it doesn't have a, a logic to it. So, um, or it just comes off as sort of um, ideas, grab bag of ideas, rather than being grounded in, well, who are you and uh, what is this uh, time in your life for? Um, I want to address um, the increasingly common claim that singleness and marriage are equally normative options for Christians. Uh, this is becoming an increasingly um, common claim um, that it is um, a, a perfectly, uh, um, that singleness and marriage are equally normative options. I'm trying to say that really carefully um, because there are some um, nuances that um, need to be made, um, but I want to argue that they are not equally normative options. Um, they are, um, even though that's being claimed. Um, and then I want to go on and talk about um, being fruitful and faithful um, as a single person in the church. The reason I, I think I need to do this is because there's been a heavy push in recent decades to downplay the ordinary calling to marriage and family, even in the church. Uh, sometimes you'll see articles or hear about sermons or books coming out um, on the potential idolatry of family and marriage. And, you know, do I think that it's possible that you could make idols out of those things? Yes, of course. Uh, frequently, though, I think they're uh, wrongheaded. Uh, or on why singleness, again, is an equally um, uh, normative option for Christians to choose. And, or even sometimes, following this same logic, I think, Christian couples announcing that they have chosen not to have any children as another equally normative option. This topic has also become a hot-button issue uh, in the recent uh, gay celibate movement um, or the spiritual friendship movement, seeking to revive some of the monastic movement of the Middle Ages, this sort of high calling of uh, uh, 
of singleness, um, these kinds of things. So I want to push through this rather quickly. I know we're a little behind schedule and want to um, keep, try to keep us on schedule. Um, one of the most misunderstood and misapplied passages on the topic of singleness is 1 Corinthians 7. And I just want to sort of cherry pick a few of the verses running through the chapter first, um, where Paul says, for I wish that all men were even as myself. Each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. This is all just kind of running through the chapter, 1 Corinthians 7. Um, and so um, some have argued from 1 Corinthians 7, see, Paul says, each one has his own gift, as though one gift would be the gift of marriage, another gift would be the gift of singleness, and hey, who's to say? Everybody gets their gift, and um, I wish y'all had my gift. I really think it's the better gift, and, um, you know, because then you could care for the things of the Lord, like I do, Paul says. But nobody seems to pay very close attention to a couple of very significant phrases that I intentionally didn't read in my cherry picking, but I want to come back to now. So this is in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 26. In the con so in the context of all of those uh, uh, encouragements and exhortations, Paul says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good, speaking of being unmarried, because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is, verse 26. And then a few verses down. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep. And then it goes down a little bit further and says, for the form of this world is passing away. So Paul explicitly says that he's giving this advice because of the historical moment he is in, because of the present distress, because the time is short because the form of this world is passing away. In fact, Jesus actually alluded to this very point in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, 19, he said, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And we might say, well, which days, what days? Well, Matthew 24 begins with the disciples asking when the temple was going to be destroyed. You see these beautiful buildings, all these beautiful stones? I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. And they say, when will these things be? And so Matthew 24 is Jesus explaining in somewhat apocalyptic language um, that which is going to lead up to the end of uh, the Judaic aeon, the end of the Old Covenant era that's going to, be, um, that's going to come um, decisively when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies and destroyed, and the temple is burned to the ground. The temple is destroyed. That's going to be the end of the old Jewish world. The old covenant era will be finally done, finished. Jesus uses apocalyptic imagery to describe the end of uh, an empire, the end of the nation, when he talks about the sun going out, and the stars falling out of the sky, and the moon turning to blood. That language is used in the Old Testament prophets to describe the end of empires, 
not the end of the literal solar system. That's the, the form of this world is passing away. And just in case we weren't sure, in Matthew 24, verse 34, Jesus assures them that all of these things will take place before this generation passes away. Just in case you think, well, no, this possibly, couldn't possibly have happened yet. Jesus says, no, it's going to happen in this generation within 40 years. And it did. It happened in 70 AD. So Paul's instructions were not for all times. They were specifically directed at a moment of cataclysmic social collapse and the birth of the new covenant world. The old covenant world was collapsing. The Jewish nation was collapsing. And the new covenant Christian era was coming into being. At most, we might say that there may be an analogous application of Paul's recommendation to the guy who thinks he's called to be a missionary in North Korea today. Did you see the connection? So if, if you're going into a place where it's very likely that you're going to be martyred for the faith, let, let's just say, you know, you know, North Korea, it's like utterly illegal. If you're caught, you're dead. You'll be shot and killed. Okay, if you're that guy, maybe you say, for the present distress, I'm not going to get married. Because of the form of this world, my body is passing away. I, I'm, this is what I'm doing. This is my calling. I need to go to North Korea. I need to go to Afghanistan. I'm going to go to Pakistan. Um, uh, and maybe there would be some other analogous situations uh, historically that we could say, well, this is kind of like that. Okay, maybe it applies. But point being, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 is primarily um, that uh, uh, married couples, that, that fornication is a sin. Married couples are to be faithful to one another. If you're unmarried and the historical circumstances are kind of raucous, maybe you consider not being married. Um, but otherwise, um, if you're struggling with that, he says it's better to marry than to burn. Um, and again, he says, but what I'm talking about is this present distress. I'm talking about the time being short. I'm talking about the form of this world passing away. Give it some thought. There's also some confusion sometimes over the nature of the new covenant. Here's one writer arguing that the old covenant centered on marriage and family. And the new covenant is now all about regeneration, which is entirely a spiritual reality and therefore uh, has shifted the significance of marriage and family. So this is a quote from him. He says, for whereas marriage and physical procreation were the necessary means of building the physical nation of Israel, the spiritual people of God are built through the process of spiritual regeneration. This is unfortunately only half true. It's true that the old covenant centered on Israel as an ethnic people in a specific land as their inheritance, but all of that was a type and training for the new covenant, which is now international and worldwide. Okay? But the old covenant, both the old covenant and the new covenant, have external signs and external blessings and internal and eternal realities. Both the old and the new covenant have both. And so this is, that's why I say this guy gets it half, half, only half true. Marriage and physical procreation were significant means of building the physical nation of Israel. And the physical nation of Israel was a, a unique sign for the old covenant. But now that it's gone international and multi-ethnic and worldwide, uh, marriage and, and, and family are not less necessary. 
they're just as necessary as they always were. You can look back in the Old Covenant and you find, of course, you know, Ruth coming in, a Moabitess, and you have um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar confessing faith, confessing faith in the God of heaven. Um, you have many Gentiles believing and worshiping God from a distance, some converting and becoming Jews themselves. You also have the fact that in the Old Covenant, God, it was never just about the physical in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant said that they needed to circumcise their hearts. God didn't say, hey, you got circumcised. Good, that's, that's all. That's, that's the deal. No, he says, do you see what that sign means? It means that your hearts need to be circumcised. You need a new heart. And so Abraham, of course, was justified by faith, by believing. It was always, um, Paul says that Abraham's true children have always come by faith. And that was often, frequently, biological children to whom God gave faith. And it was always the working of the Spirit. The true children of Abraham were always a gift of the Spirit. So rather than seeing the Old and New Covenants as opposed at this point, families and children, and now it's just spiritual regeneration, so, you know, pick your lifestyle of choice. It's all just sort of spiritualized. We ought to see that the Old Covenant was the seed form of what would grow up into the New Covenant. And what has grown up into is a multinational, multi-ethnic, multifamilial reality that's now been it's now empowered by the gospel. It's now no longer tied to one little piece of land in the Middle East. It now includes the entire world. So when you think about buying land in Idaho or Washington or wherever you might buy land, you're now buying part of the inheritance that Jesus bought with his blood. It's, it's not as if in the old covenant they had land and in the new covenant they don't have land. No, it, 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 he bought the whole thing. That little piece of land in Canaan was a type, it was a sign of what Jesus was going to do with his blood. He, wanted to, he was going to buy it all. And so now it all belongs to him. And of course, our hope is not just in land or in this life. Our hope is far more than that. It's in the resurrection. It's in the forgiveness of sins. It's in eternal life. It's in all things being made new. So the command to be fruitful and multiply, that command is the, um, is the ordinary command that God gives to all of us. It's, not, it's, it's the command that God gives to all of us and the ordinary calling of man to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and become one flesh is not merely still in force. It's still in force with the added promises and power of the gospel. It's still there. Not only is it still there, but it's there now with the added promise of the power of the gospel, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go. This doesn't reduce the blessings of the new covenant to family as though it's just family or just some piece of land. Of course, it includes the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, eternal life, the resurrection. But the new covenant takes up the basic building blocks of the old covenant and then expands it to the world. So this is why when Peter is preaching at Pentecost, 
when the people are cut to their heart and they say, what should we do? He says, repent and believe and be baptized for the promises to you and to your children and as many as the Lord our God will call. The promises to you and to your children and to many, as many as the Lord our God will call. It's in, it still includes the family and now it's blown open and all the families of the earth, everybody. It takes that offer and those promises and that inheritance and expands it to the whole world, to the whole earth, to everyone, everywhere. Which, incidentally, includes those who are not yet married. Those who are barren. Those who, for various providential reasons, will not or cannot be married or bear children. And there were hints of that in the Old Covenant promises. That God was going to blow it wide open. He was going to make that family of Israel into an international family, a covenant family for all the peoples. Now, as I turn the corner here and start looking at, okay, so what then does this mean for people who are single today, unmarried today? Um, I want to look at two texts that on the surface may seem uh, kind of unrelated, maybe even unhelpful. But bear with me. So the first one is in 1 Timothy 2, chapter 2. And, and uh, Paul says this, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. I think there are several fascinating things about this text, but the one I want to focus on is the fact that Paul says that women will be saved in childbearing. This is striking because the context is actually not one talking about family per se. He's actually giving instructions for worship, which sort of seems strange. Um, it cannot be the case that Paul means that regeneration, you know, our salvation, is literally tied to procreation. Are you all with me so far? Right? It cannot be the case that Paul is saying, if you have babies, you will go to heaven. Right? You're all with me. Okay. I know it's been a long day. You're with me. <laughs> Careful what you're writing down. Right? Okay. Uh, um, okay. Um, it cannot be the case, since Paul is the champion of justification by faith alone, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Right? So clearly that would include not by babies, lest anyone should boast. Right? Okay. So in what sense could Paul possibly mean that salvation is related to childbearing? Now, one possible answer um, that is, I don't think is crazy could be the fact that God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent, and then Mary bore the Savior of the world. So salvation did literally come through the birth of a child, right? Paul may be alluding to that. I think there's more going on since it, it remains in the plural. They, um, uh, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, um, with self-control. He's, he's still talking about women in general to some extent, and so I think it, it has to be applied, even if that's in the background. So this leads to the second passage that may not seem related or helpful, which is 1 Peter 3, where Peter says this, for in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, 
whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror, 1 Peter 3, 5 and 6. The thing I want to point out to you is that word daughters, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And the reason I want to point it out to you is because Sarah never had any biological daughters. Right? In fact, for most of Sarah's life, she was barren. And then at the very end of her life, she had one child, a son named Isaac. So putting these two texts together, I want to insist that marriage and childbearing is the normal calling for most people. But in the absence of marriage and or biological children, God still calls women, given these two texts, to be fruitful mothers and homemakers as they continue in faith, love, and holiness. In other words, I think what Paul is saying to Timothy is saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control is if, they, if they're saved as they embrace their calling as mothers, as they embrace the calling of motherhood in faith, love, and holiness, and self-control. Sarah is still being made fruitful, right? Every time a Christian woman imitates her faith, Sarah is made a mother again. You become her daughter, right? Which means that motherhood is not, strictly speaking, purely only biological bearing of children. Because Sarah is your mother if you imitate her faith. You're her daughter if you imitate her faith. And so, I think Paul is saying, as women embrace their callings to be women, to, be, to embrace the calling of motherhood in general, and to whatever extent God blesses them in, in faith, love, and holiness of self-control, they are, uh, they are walking in the salvation, one for them in Christ. They are daughters of Sarah, if they do good and are not afraid with any terror. We can make the exact same argument for men. You thought you were going to get off the hook, but you're not. <laughs> from the way the Bible describes fatherhood. Yes, fatherhood is central to the act of begetting biological children. But Timothy was Paul's beloved son in the Lord, which point he makes numerous times in the New Testament. Timothy was Paul's beloved son, begotten in the Lord. And Paul also lamented the fact that the Corinthians did not have more fathers in the faith, 2 Corinthians 4, 15. So the point I want to make is that there's not merely a gender-neutral place for singles in the church. There is no place for gender-neutral singles in the church. Sorry. You're out of luck. But there are necessary and crucial roles for men and women in the church. And those roles are broadly described under the headings of fatherhood and motherhood. Or what we might call a masculine-shaped holiness and service, and a feminine-shaped holiness and service. Which, if you described a bunch of those traits, you would say, oh, that's like a father. Oh, that's like a mother. Men, we've talked about this uh, some here already this weekend, your glory is your strength, particularly your physical and emotional strength. You're good at 
concentrating on particular problems and creating solutions. You're good at trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. And then finally succeeding. And this is why most entrepreneurs are men. And so you are called to use your strength sacrificially for the good of the world. Start a business, start a ministry, start a podcast, invent something, fail in the right direction, build something, give away whatever God has given you the most abundance of. This is actually a principle for everybody. It's not just men. Whatever God has given you the most of, give it away. It's a good business practice. Serve wherever you see the needs. But think big and think long-term. Think like a father. Think about building a legacy. Think about leaving things to children and grandchildren, whether they are your own biological or not. Think like a father. Think like a man. Think about an inheritance. Think about a legacy. Build something that lasts. Build something that matters. This is how you serve the church. When you see your calling as a man specifically shaped towards fatherhood. And as it turns out, that's a good practice for actually being a dad. Women, your glory is your beauty and your ability to give life. You make homes. The central sign of this reality is the fact that God gave you a uterus. The uterus is a small home inside of you designed by God to make a human being. Whatever God has for you, he has put that inside of you to tell you what you're for. You make people. You make people. But don't just think of that as a biological thing, though no doubt most of you will one day do that. But think of motherhood and homemaking as the task of ministering life to the world, giving life to the world, making people like that, serving them, loving them, giving to them, blessing them, feeding them, teaching them organizing for them, communicating well to them and for them, making beautiful things, music, art, clothing, designing things. Did I mention feeding them? Right. What are you doing when you do all of those things? When you exercise your gifts of motherhood and homemaking, you're making people, right? You're making people. You're making them better people. You're making them more like Christ. You're strengthening them. You're ministering life to them. Think big, think long-term. Think like mothers. Now, not, not someday when you get married, not someday when you have your own biological children. Do it now. Think big. Think long-term, be fruitful in every way. Don't even pretend that you're competing with men. <laughs> no, what a silly, ridiculous thing. Your glory is far greater. 
do not be ashamed of being a woman. I, uh, I've told this story uh, a few times. In fact, I might even tell it tomorrow at church in my sermon. Um, a little bit of this actually overlaps with what I'm preaching about tomorrow at Christ Church. Um, but I'll tell it to you already. You guys know the punchline and just make sure you, you still laugh and stuff. So. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but when my, uh, I re- a number of years ago, I uh, came home from work. I was um, sitting on the couch being useless. And my wife was in the kitchen just bustling around, you know, doing her thing, you know, setting the table, chopping food. She's got stuff on the stove. She's just, you know, firing all cylinders. I'm, I don't know, reading or something. And, 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 sh- and then she gets a phone call. So she's got the phone in her ear and she's doing it like this. And, you know, it's like she's a ninja in there. And, and, and then I hear, and she's doing a survey. I can tell she's doing some kind of survey. She's like, yes, no, yes, no, you know, A, B, whatever. And, uh, and then she gets to the end and they're doing like the little demographic thing. And, and, you know, you know, she gives to the age and, you know, I don't know, married, and, you know, whatever. And then, she, and then I hear her say, homemaker. 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 I'm a wife and a mom. I take care of my home. Okay, all right, okay. Goodbye. And then she looks up and she says, that girl had never heard of the word homemaker. And I think that's like one of the most wicked things I've ever heard in my life. What do you mean? This 19-year-old girl never heard of the most glorious thing that a woman could possibly do. The thing she was made for. What a wicked world we live in. So what do singles do? There's no, there's no singles. There's men and women. There's fathers and mothers. That's what you're called to. In Christ, you're called to manhood, womanhood. You're called to practice fatherhood now, motherhood now, with all your might. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Last thing is, don't be proud and don't have higher standards than God. And I want to apply this in two somewhat different directions. First of all, I want to apply this to how you serve now. Don't be proud. Don't have higher standards than God, which means um, be humble. Do what needs being done. Clean up, right? Is that what needs to be done? Well, then pick up. Guess what? Dads do a lot of picking up, right? Yeah. Um, moms do a lot of picking up. Can I get an amen somewhere? Come on. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, you know, Legos and dolls and, you know, just that's what you do. And the dishes, they just keep coming. And the dirty laundry just keeps coming. So pick up, clean up, set up. The chairs need setting up. The chairs need being carried. Do it. Don't be too proud for that. Yeah, well, I want an important job. No, you're not important. Do the, un- do the unimportant jobs. Run the sound booth. Take the pictures. Run the, you know, the whatever, the social media accounts. Help with the little ones. 
set up for the, the meals, help clean the homes, clean the toilets, chop the wood that needs chopping, send an encouraging note, an email, a text, pray. That's really useful. Give of your tithes and your offerings. Work hard. Show hospitality. Have people over. If Christ calls you to it, it's dignified by his calling. Right? Right? If the general gives you the assignment, there's no unimportant assignment. And it's faithful fatherhood, it's faithful motherhood, it's faithful manhood, faithful womanhood. I also want to apply this, don't be proud, don't have higher standards than God. I want to apply this to how you pray for and pursue a spouse. Have biblical standards, biblical standards, shall I say it again? And never compromise them. Seek out accountability. Make sure you have people that you trust looking over your shoulder, but don't let your pride get in the way. Do you know what I mean? I should be more specific. Is she a godly woman? Do you respect her? Go ask her out. Well, you know, but I've got my 30 things. Go burn that 30 things. Right? You're not that important. Right? Now, now, okay, does God have some things? Yeah, God has some things. But you need to check your list against God's list. Right? What does God say is valuable, important, significant? And men, goes back to some of the things I said last night at the round table with Rachel, um, you need to do hard things. And perhaps the hardest thing you need to do is just get over yourself. Yeah, they might say no. Suck it up. Right? How are you going to ever start a business or you can never do something hard, really hard. You need practice now. So don't let your pride get in the way. Don't have higher standards than God. I want to be clear. The ordinary calling of men and women is to marry, bear children, and build families and homes under the blessing of God as a central means of building the kingdom of God. So I cannot honestly stand before you and talk to you about the role of singles in the church without making that really clear. Now I know there are various providences and the timing is in the Lord's hands and it's a mystery. The planets have to align. I get it. You know, okay. God sometimes calls individuals to temporary or lifelong singleness. And when God does this, he does it for his good purposes and for the good and the blessing of the church. And for your blessing. 
so that you might exercise your fatherly and motherly gifts in the body now. So, so those are your options. You're men and women made in the image of God, made to imitate the Father as men and exercising your gifts in response to the Father's love as mothers. And you do that and you seek to be as fruitful as the Lord blesses. Thanks.